Our lesson this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 21 through 30. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Pray with me. Father God, we are so grateful to you for your word. You promise us, Father, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray, Father, that this morning, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will make it shine brightly, illuminate the dark corners of our heart that so desperately need the piercing gaze of your Scripture. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. Well, at the outset, let me just recognize that from the perspective of the secular world, this passage from Ephesians 5 is politically incorrect. But as we all recognize, from the perspective of the secular world, most of Scripture is politically incorrect. Take as a, for instance, uh, the teachings of Jesus. Let's look at, at John 14, 6 where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In many communities, if we were to go to the, the town square and to proclaim that gospel truth, we would be viewed as intolerant, uh, exclusive, divisive, unnecessarily confrontational. But the fact of the matter is that that gospel truth was just as divisive and confrontational when Jesus first spoke it 2,000 years ago. But it remains all the same, completely true. Let's also consider when Jesus was addressing the crowds in, in Luke 6, 46. He's addressing these crowds that have been following him, and he says, Why do you call out to me, Lord, Lord? But you don't do the things I tell you to do. You see, it's a recurring theme in our, in our fallen hearts to turn from those teachings of God's Scripture that confront us. We have this tendency to either ignore them or to explain them away or sometimes audaciously to say that my God doesn't really think that way, as if we, God's creation, have a right to redefine the commands that God, our Creator, has given to us. 
And it's for that reason that Paul wrote in, in 2 Timothy 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. Paul could very easily have been talking to 21st century America. In reality, he was speaking across space, across time, and across culture to, to this tendency of our sinful heart to turn from God's will. And that's a very dangerous place for us to be because God's word to us is for our good and for His glory. And I would suggest to you that that's especially true when the teachings of Scripture confront us and are hard for us to process, process and swallow. Because it's in those moments that the uncomfortable aspects of our sin nature are brought to light. And we're forced to deal with them. It's also for that reason that he wrote in 2 Timothy, I charge you, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Those of us who claim the name of Christ, those of us who are seeking to live lives obedient to His will and trying to, to pattern our life more and more closely after His, have no choice but to... to, to read the Word, to mine its riches, and to find the areas where it is uncomfortable and apply them to our lives. Because, you see, it's in those points that we grow. Like, like any athletic trainer knows, where, where you push yourself the hardest is when you're getting stronger, you're getting better, you're getting faster. And that's exactly what this Scripture is. It's training for the soul. We're called upon to look at this, we're to look at our hearts, and, and see what's there to be seen through the mind of God through this lens. And I would respectfully suggest that one of the reasons that this passage from Ephesians 5 is so difficult for many of us to swallow is because it does give a keen, piercing gaze into the sin of our hearts. But that means it's all the more important for those of us who choose to follow Christ to understand it and to apply it. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to do a, an overview of this, of this scriptural passage. And let me say it's only going to be an overview because I can literally spend weeks mining this passage for God's riches. What I hope to look at today are three simple points. Overall, the concept of submission within marriage, how submission plays out in the role of the wife, and how submission plays out in the leadership role of the husband. Let's first look at the, the broad concept of submission within marriage. First of all, notice from the introduction of this passage at, at verse 21 that Scripture calls for mutual submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are to submit to one another within the relationship of marriage, out of reverence for Christ. The way we treat one another within marriage 
is the practical, boots-on-the-ground, Monday-morning way that we choose to worship God. It's how we honor Him. And at its core is the concept of submission. Now, I will, I will concede that, again, in this day and age, the concept of submission is, is, is viewed as outdated, it's viewed as inappropriate, and, and it's marginalized. But the reason that, that it's viewed that way is because that's the way our human hearts have always looked at the concept of submission. In, in, in Paul's day, when he wrote this, this was viewed as, as just as revolutionary because within the Scripture, husbands are called to serve their wives sacrificially. And in first century A.D., that was an absurd concept. Culture may change its view of Scripture, but, but ultimately, the human heart wants to dodge those things that make us uncomfortable, and submission is one of those topics. But the reason that it, it is uncomfortable for us, the reason it's countercultural, is because it's the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel confronts us where we are in our sin natures, and it forces us to, to decide how we're going to live. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 and 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, take a look at this. Take up his cross. To the minds of those living in the first century, that had a particular meaning. It was the picture of an execution. And not just any execution, a horrible execution. And so, when Jesus is saying, take up your cross, he's saying, metaphorically, you have to be willing to die. Daily? How do we die daily? Well, the picture that he's presenting here, once again, is we have to make a deliberate decision. We have to make a deliberate decision to kill that old sin nature. Before we come to Christ, that sin nature dominates. It, it, it drives our decisions, it drives our thoughts, it, it drives who we are. But even after we come to Christ, even after we are we're justified by his blood, we still have that sin nature that lingers. And so, in this word picture here, Jesus is saying, you have to make a deliberate decision day by day by day to pick up that hammer, to pick up that nail, and nail your sin nature to the cross. And it's a daily decision because every day your selfishness rises up. Every day the, the what about me tendency rises up. Every day you have to make a choice to crucify that nature and to follow Jesus. It's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And notice, notice how Jesus words this. If you would save your life, you'll lose it. If you would prefer to coddle that sin nature, if you would prefer to, to nurture and cherish it as some sort of little pet sin, that says an awful lot about your walk with Christ and whether it's genuine. This is hard work. Thankfully, that's why God gives us a long time to work through it, right? And we'll never get it right until we're in glory. But the essence is we, pick, we, we take up our cross and we follow him. And that is really at the core of what it means to be married. 
Because God, in your marriage, gives you this laboratory where you can test your character and refine it over time. So verse 21 talks about submission. The verses that follow talk about how that submission is played out by the wife and by the husband. Let's look now at the, the wife's submission. First of all, look at verse 22. She's called to submit to her own husband. Not to men in general, to her own husband. And once again, notice how the gospel's countercultural. That's viewed as inflammatory in this day and age. But in the first century, the notion that you submitted to your own husband as opposed to men in general would also have been countercultural. Again, the point I want to linger on here is God's truth always offends some. The human heart always finds a way to object to truth that we don't like. So she's called to submit to her own husband. But also notice that this call is between God and the wife. It's not God to the husband, tell your wife to submit. It's God through Paul to the wife. Gentlemen, it is not our job to be the Holy Spirit for our wives. That's not our role. This is a call given to her. We, we have our own call, and I'm going to deal with you all in a minute. But this is her call, and what she does is between her and God. Okay? Go like this. Yeah, it's between her and God. And, and our responsibility is to the Almighty for a different set of, of issues. Notice that she's called to submit to him as to Christ. Now, that, that is a critically important point. For starters, it's important because it tells you about the model of submission. She is to submit to her husband as to Christ, and her model is the church itself. Her model is not Martha Stewart. Her model is not June Cleaver. Now, I'm, I'm in no way minimizing the importance of, of, of domestic contributions. Not at all. Someone has to do them, right? I, 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 absolutely. But it's not necessarily a God-ordained responsibility of the wife to do that. So, the culture, when they hear the term submission applied to the wife, they'd like to think, oh, that means that she's got to be a housewife. No, no, no. That, that's not what it says. You won't find that in here. I would suggest that that's a very important contribution if that's the way the family dynamic operates. I'm certainly not minimizing it, and it certainly is a way that the wife can show her, her love for her family. But I would suggest to you that if the wife is defining her submission exclusively in terms of domestic contributions, then she's not really treating her husband any differently than she is her children. And her role is so much more significant. She is the wife. And so she fits into a role that, into which only she can fit. Just as, just as the church honors Christ, the wife has an opportunity to honor her husband for who he is and for what he does. And that's a role only she can fulfill. Just as the wife worships, just as the church worships Christ, the wife has an opportunity to encourage her husband and, and and nurture him and lift him up to inspire him to be the man of God that Jesus wants him to be within that marriage. 
That's a role only she can fulfill. Just as we, the church, bring our prayers and petitions before the heavenly throne and ask for, for God's attention, so too, ladies, we depend upon you to bring your counsel to us. Anyone who's been married for more than about a week knows that men and women are wired differently. Praise God that we are. It's a great and wonderful thing. We, we complete and complement one another. But without my wife's counsel, I have enormous blind spots. And that's true for every man in this room. We depend upon your counsel. If we're doing something wrong, you need to tell us. If we're doing something that makes you uncomfortable, you need to tell us. If you have needs, you need to tell us. But ladies, just Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows your hearts even before you offer up a prayer. We are not similarly situated. If you tell us, it's fine. We're likely to take you at your word and go back to watching football. Okay. Now, now guys, that's not an excuse for, for sloppy husbanding. And I'm going to deal with you all in a second, I promise. But communicate. It's vitally important that you do that. Lastly, just as, just as the church, we, the church, obey Christ, so too, wives, you're called upon to follow our lead within the marriage. If we are to be the men that God calls us to be, that is so important. You can either encourage us and empower us, or you can hold us back. You need to give us the freedom to make mistakes even, trusting that God will cover the entire arrangement with grace, that God will protect us, and that nothing will fall through his, through his hand that he does not allow. And that all things do work together for good for those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. So, the model is the church. The motivation is Christ. Gentlemen, let's look around the room. Is there any of us who is worthy of our wife's submission? Now, those of y'all who, who know me, you probably also know my lovely bride, and you know that I married way outside my league. And her parents are there, and they're like, yeah, we, we tried to tell her that 22 years ago. No, I'm just kidding. I am not worthy of, my, of receiving my wife's submission. I'm not. But Jesus is. And that's the amazing thing about this. God Almighty calls upon the wife to submit to her husband out of loving obedience to him. I am the direction in which my wife submits, but she's really submitting to him. I am never worthy to receive it, but Christ is. And if you understand that is the motivation, then that should change everything. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you love Him for what He's done, it changes everything. Finally, this passage also sets limits on submission. As, as Jesus loves His church and leads the church, it's obvious that he would never lead his bride into anything unrighteous or dishonorable. Regrettably, that is not true for we human fallible creatures. It's not true. And, and I say this with the greatest tenderness because I know that in all probability there are people I'm speaking to, do, to right now who have either been in an abusive relationship or maybe still be in an abusive relationship. And so I want you to understand that 
this passage sets a limit on your submission. You have no obligation whatsoever to follow a man into something that is unbiblical or that is dishonoring to the name of Christ. And as a matter of fact, as your Christian sister, as a Christian sister to your husband, you should pray about any such situation and you should approach him lovingly and gently and you should ask him to consider what he's doing. And if that fails, you should come to the church. You should come to a pastor or an elder and and, and seek biblical counsel. And again, the seeking of biblical counsel is vital because, again, the human heart looks for ways to get around God's will. The point being, this arrangement here is biblical, and it's one in which God has established for the wife to show her submission really to Jesus. Again, we're the direction. We husbands are the direction in which that's lived out. But it's really to God. Well, why is she called to submit? Well, on one level, if you look at verse 24, it's simply in the Scripture. It's what it says. But the thing is, God doesn't give us commands so he can watch us running around and executing them. His commands are are not pointless. His commands are for our good and for his glory. And as we see... As the wife works to live out her submission and obedience to Jesus, she's got to deal with a couple of things. First of all, she's got to deal with the sinful impulses in her own heart. At our core, we're selfish. We want what we want. And we may be willing to compromise out of this concept of enlightened self-interest. I'll give a little bit to get a little bit. But that's not what she's called to do. She's called to follow her husband to give him honor and encouragement. And to the extent that the, that the sin nature rises up and says, well, what about me? What about my interest? I could do this job better than he could. The Holy Spirit is calling upon her to take that sin nature, to take that hammer and to take that nail and crucify it. Because that's the only way that you can follow Christ. You see, once again, I like, I like this image of a laboratory. In the marriage relationship, God has, has put us in a laboratory where our character is tested. And through, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the illumination of the gospel, we have an opportunity to refine our character. And this is the way in which it's done. It's almost as if he allows these situations to creep up so we can see us for, for the way he sees us. And really what we're talking about here is faith. In order for a wife to submit to her husband, she has to have faith in Christ. She has to have faith that, number one, this is his command. This is what he wants me to do. Number two, that God's got a, got a vision for this. God's going to give my husband wisdom. Number three, anything that goes wrong, God's going to take care of. And, oh, by the way, the biggest thing, along the way, God is going to change my heart. God is going to reveal those areas of my nature that are displeasing to him. And along the way, he's going to convict me of my sin and make me more like him. Think about that. Jesus is the author of creation, the king of the universe, and yet, when he came to this world, what did he do? He took the form of a servant. When the world says that the evangelical church puts women in a second-class role, I, I... 
I'm offended because that was a role that Christ assumed. And it boggles the mind because, once again, the situation is that, that the world does not understand Scripture. The world looks for ways to dodge the commands of God. Final point I want to make about this. Ladies, don't underestimate how convicting your submission can be on your husband. Don't ever underestimate that. Gentlemen, you know what I'm talking about. You know in your heart of hearts that you are not worthy to receive your wife's submission. You're not. And as a matter of fact, when you do, it's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Because if you're paying any attention to what's going on, you recognize that what she's doing here is she's obeying God, and you're the direction of her obedience. And so you're receiving, really, when she, when, when she gives you your submission on something, she is giving to you her worship to God Almighty. And you're holding that in trust for the King of creation. You're holding that in trust for Jesus. And someday you're going to stand before the throne, and you're going to be accountable for what you did. I sometimes joke, um, in, in joke, huh, that, that my, my biggest concern is that if there's an issue between me and my lovely bride, she's going to take it up with my boss. God Almighty. In truth, I want her to, because I want to be more like Jesus. And this is part of the process. And ladies, if your husband is, is maybe not sensitive to spiritual issues, if your husband is, is slow to respond, pray for him. Pray for him and ask him to, to, uh, to pay attention and to, and to, to his spiritual calling and to lead. And pray. So let's talk about the husband's leadership. Now, from the perspective of the world, the obvious question here is, how is, how is leadership submission? And in the context of, of the world, it's really not. But if you look at it through the lens of the Bible, that's exactly what it is. Because if I am to lead... I'm being called upon to lead my family in a direction that I don't want to go. I do not want to lead in the direction that Jesus would have me to lead. My, my sin nature kicks against that command. My sin nature looks for excuses. And, and I am convinced that, that one of the reasons that so many men don't like the doctrine of submission is because it, if their wives submit, it means they have to lead. And that is challenging. Because what we're talking about here is sacrificial leadership. Verses 25 and 26, we see that we're called to lead just as, and love our wives just as Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her. That is the essence of sacrificial leadership. Jesus, the king of creation, came to the earth and shed his blood for those he would come to save. That is our model. Just as Christ died for the church... Gentlemen, we are called to live for our wives. We're called to live for them. What that requires us to do, if we're going to live for our wives the way that Jesus wants us to do, we have to die to ourselves. Every single day, if I'm going to make a decision for the benefit of my wife and my family, I have to deal with the fact that I don't want to. I want to do something else with my time, with my talents, with my resources, with my priorities. And so if I'm going to be the sacrificial leader that I'm called to be, I've got to crucify the selfishness. I've got to crucify the sin nature. Then and only then can I even grasp the vision that God has for me 
so that I can love the way I'm called to love. But folks, if we do this the way God wants us to do this, our leadership within the family blesses our wife. In verses 26 and 27, we see that Christ's ongoing work is transforming his church into his holy bride. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and through the lives of each individual member of his church invisible, he is showing us the sin issues that we need to confront. And he's giving us the will and the power to confront that sin and to defeat it. Well, that's the, that's the theological term we use is called sanctification, the process of becoming more holy. In the same way, folks, we are called to cherish and nourish our wives. Now, how do we do that? Well, Jesus, on the cross, in an ultimate way, invested in his people. He poured his life out to redeem his church. And even now, through the power of his Holy Spirit, He's pouring himself into your lives. He's investing in us. And likewise, we, husbands, are called to invest ourselves in our wives. We are to pour ourselves out into them. What does it look like? Well, just as a simple example, gentlemen, it means get off the couch, turn off the TV, go into the kitchen, and help your wives with dishes. Not because they need help with dishes. Maybe they do. But that's not the calling. The calling is to invest ourselves in them. And so you go in there and you help them with the dishes and you talk. And you find out where they are spiritually. You find out what the anxiety issues are. You find out what the emotional needs are. You find out where she's happy. You find out where she's sad. You find out where she needs a tender word. You find out where she needs encouragement. You find out where she needs prayer. You find out what she's worried about for the kids. You find out what she's worried about for your future. You invest in her. You pour yourself out into her at your expense. If she comes into the, into the den, don't care if the game is on. You need to look at her. And by the way, sitting alongside her watching a movie is not really investing in her. You are called upon to pour yourself out into her life. You are called to feed her, to nourish her, to encourage her so she can become the woman God wants her to be. And she does that through your encouragement, just as we become more like Christ through the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And folks, we should delight in that task. We have the opportunity to have front row seats to watch God transform our already beautiful wives into trophies of grace. That's an amazing thing. We get to be co-laborers with Christ, watching our wives grow in the faith. What an awesome responsibility, but what an awesome privilege. Well, why does this task fall to us? Well, Again, much like the wife, this is our God-ordained role. But also, much like the wife, assuming her role, as we assume our role, we're forced to confront our sin nature. And everybody has his or her own little quirks, but I would suggest that for most men, in our heart of hearts, we're spiritually complacent. I prayed a prayer, I got baptized, that's good enough. I do a little bit of good things on the weekends, I give money to the right organization, that's good enough. 
That's not what it means to follow Christ. What it means to follow Christ is day by day, you confront the sin nature, you crucify it, and you go. You follow his lead. And, to, and the beautiful thing about leadership, spiritual leadership in the marriage, is that if you're going to do that, you see the selfishness for what it is, and you put it to death. And if you're going to lead, you have to get over the impediments. The impediments of what about me? Who's going to meet my needs? What about the things that I want to do? God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of you. You take care of your wife. And gentlemen, if you will not take care of your wife, who will? You have the God-ordained role to love your wife, to protect your wife, to nurture your wife, to cherish your wife, to build her up. If you aren't going to pray with her and for her, regarding the anxieties of her heart. Who's going to? If you are not going to meet her emotional needs and comfort her fears, who is going to? Who else in this world knows her like you do? Who else is qualified to take the point position in your marriage and to lead the banner of Christ into new territory? If you don't, who will? Gentlemen, it is our calling to do this. It's our privilege to do this. And someday we're going to stand before the king... And I long for us to hear, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. So what do we do with this? Well, whether you're a husband or a wife, I, I think it's intuitively obvious that none of us has it in us of our own strength to meet this task. We don't. But that's precisely the point. God has given us a task that's impossible in our own strength, so we'll be emptied of our strength and we rely upon Him. That's the entire point of the gospel. We can't do it on our own. We can only do it by faithfully submitting to His commands, tapping into the Holy Spirit, recognizing our sin nature, repenting of it, putting it to death, and following the King. So, at its heart, this message of submission within the marriage forces us to depend upon grace. God, I can't do this. Give me your grace. Give me the grace to see my failures, the grace to confront my failures, the grace to want to be different, the grace to have the power to change. And God, give me the grace to recognize that my wife is in the same boat. She's not perfect. Give me the grace to love her all the same to love her when she's unlovable. Ladies, you've got the same argument. God, help me. Give me the grace to honor my husband when he's sometimes not honorable. Give me the grace to follow you and to live it out by following him. That's the essence of the Christian walk, isn't it? To know that we can't do it, we depend upon him, that we live out our faith by falling completely into his arms. I'm convinced that the reason we don't see more marriages like this is that we look too much to one another to meet our needs. We look too much at it as a business relationship. I carry my weight, she carries her weight, and we all get along fine. We look to each other. That's not the model. We're called to look at Jesus. We're called to look at Him. We're called to fixate upon Him, to realize that He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And without him, we can do 
nothing. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians 3, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. My prayer for each of you, husbands and wives, married or those of you who will someday be married, my prayer for each of you is that Christ's plan for your life will become so real that it dominates your view of everything else. My prayer for you, for us, is that we will so trust in Christ's call that we don't ask the question, what about me? My prayer for each of us is that when those, that, 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 that sin nature says, what about me? We'll have the courage and conviction to crucify it and to follow hard after Jesus. I pray for each of us that we will have a real firm picture of Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what he has set before us as one of the most joyful ways that we can worship Him. Pray with me. Father God, I humbly confess that I am so not there. But Father, I know I'm in good company because none of us are there. But in large measure, Father, that is the true miracle of the gospel, isn't it? That seeing our need, you went to extraordinary lengths to meet that need. And you've given us the gift of marriage so that you can reveal that need to us day by day by day and force us to become more dependent upon you. Father, give us the grace to see that need. Father, give us the grace to be dissatisfied with good enough. Give us the grace to run hard after you and to leave the wrong-headed views of this world behind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.